0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier and joined by the always impeccably dressed Spencer Horn.
1: Spencer, how you doing? I am well. Thank you, Christian. I wish that were, were true. You know, at least can't see my uh, sweatpants or anything on, on the bottoms.
0: <laughs> hey, that's my daily attire. My wife calls them baby pants baby so, pants. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I basically uh, walk around in baby pants all day. That's my office attire.
1: Uh <laughs> a snowy morning. Uh did
0: uh, did you have to shovel the the walks?
1: I did. I shoveled this morning and yesterday went snowshoeing yesterday and and I just I just cannot believe it. I mean, how how many inches are we up at Alta? I mean, it's got to be like 830 or 50. I I know it's
0: over 800. It was over 800 before this last storm came rolling in. Uh, Yeah, we shoveled yesterday. We had about eight inches this morning to shovel. And uh, that's the first time I can recall actually getting my snow blower out in April and uh, removing snow.
1: (laughs) Isn't that crazy? April. I mean, it's been 40 years, 1983, since the last time we had almost this much snow. We didn't have this much snow and caused severe flooding now i hope here in in salt lake city we're more prepared than we were back in 1983 but we are being warned to prepare for flooding you see that happening in california right now it's just weather is crazy worldwide right now
0: yep you're right we are being told to prepare and a lot of that depends on spring and how Rapidly, the snow melts, and we'll see what kind of a conundrum we're in. Hopefully, it won't be as bad as it was here in 1983, where uh, you know, massive landslide basically destroyed the town of Thistle and replaced it with a lake, and we had rivers running down State Street and everything. Uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty crazy back in those days.
1: It was, and, and fingers crossed this time around.
0: Well, speaking of a potential flood, <laughs> we are seeing right in front of us, right before our eyes, a dramatic change with the introduction and really uh, exposure, I think, to the masses of generative AI uh, through chat GPT and other artificial intelligences uh, that uh, have a potential to massively disrupt uh, people's lives in our economy. Last week, a report was issued by Goldman Sachs that really piqued our interest. And we thought it's appropriate to have a conversation about that and its potential impacts. And so I'm curious, Spencer, as you saw that report from Goldman Sachs saying that potential 300 million jobs could be potentially replaced by AI. Uh, you know, What were your kind of high level thoughts uh, about this? And then maybe we can dive into the details a little bit.
1: Yeah, great great question and, and set up. I, I was not suppl- <laughs> I was not surprised at all. You know, back in, in 2015, there was a book written by jo- uh, Jeff Colvin called Humans Are Underrated. And my cousin in Canada gave this to me when, when I was there several years ago. And, you know, we were talking about the, the coming disruption then and it's been happening for for decades technology has been expanding and in in terms of capability for for decades really uh, since the beginning of you know moore's law in the 1960s the you know the size of a transistor has you know the number of transistors ha- have doubled every i don't know 18 months or 2 years and so computing capacity has just been growing and growing and growing and and I won't get into all of that but Back then, economists believe many economists believed that by 2025, 50% of all labor would be replaced by automation. And that was just a few years ago. So maybe we got it wrong in terms of the timing, but it sure seems to me that the things that were predicted years ago. Are now all of a sudden accelerating. Now, will that mean that fifty percent of jobs will be replaced by twenty twenty five? I don't think so, and I think this report uh, bears that out. But could that get pushed back a little bit? The answer is is yes. And so, you know, I think it's it's really worth looking into, specifically which economies, in terms of you know, U.S., Europe, versus you know the rest of uh, of the economies in the world. Even regional areas, how they're going to be affected, low income, high income uh, economies, which professions are going to be affected by it? You know, I was having a conversation, Christian. Sorry, I just you asked me, and I, I have so many thoughts. But I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is a partner at Deloitte, one of the big four, you know, accounting firms in in the world, and this was back in 2019. And at that time, they had invested millions in a software, call it an AI or a a technology. And the purpose of the technology was to read all contracts. And that was a task that typically newer interns or or newer associates were were assigned to so that they could learn and develop the, the contracting process. But because it could be automated, and because it could, with this with this software, they could quickly identify challenges and problems that sometimes were missed by human eyeballs. They invested in this. Well, that then shifted work away from that in terms of labor and capital was then invested in, in equipment. And what I am seeing is as the, one of the things that was predicted is that uh, maybe AI would drive wages down. And what we've seen with inflation recently, wages are rising. Well, that's going to have a very, very interesting impact on, on this whole, the speed of this process because organizations are going to take their capital and they're going to invest it in technology versus labor, which because it's it's the cost of, of capital, right? And so we've got companies that are investing more and more as, as people are demanding greater and greater wages, at least here in the United States and in Europe. So those are a few of my thoughts. What do you think? Uh,
0: I think the future is (laughs) interesting, uncertain, uh, full of possibilities. I recall reading this report, or it could have been an article associated with this report that uh, said, uh, indicated that 60% of all jobs that exist today did not exist in 1940 right so so the the civilization evolves and and new opportunities will arise we don't know exactly what those new opportunities will be but the important thing is to be in a position to adapt to our circumstances and take advantage of those new opportunities as they emerge And, and we we can't with certainty really predict what those new opportunities are going to be, uh, but they will appear, and uh, hopefully, uh, we and our our viewers and listeners and others will be able to prepare themselves, take advantage of those opportunities. But it's going to be a, it's going to be a bumpy ride, I think, for a lot of people who traditionally, at least, felt like their jobs were secure. Uh, because they were doing higher level things, you know. And when it comes to knowledge workers and things like this, and now we're seeing that uh, generative AI can can replace some of those advanced tasks, like you mentioned, reading and analyzing contracts, you know, uh,
1: writing contracts, writing contracts, writing stories, you know, writing legal defense or prosecu- you know, prosecutorial plans. Uh, I don't even know if that's the right word. I just made that up. Yeah, so. I'm curious.
0: You know how 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 AIs uh, have attorney-client privilege. You know how how that all is going to work out. But uh, anyway, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a fascinating uh, time, and and I'm looking at it with a lot of anticipation, but at the same time, a bit of trepidation. You know, uh, because I think it, it could have some negative impacts for an awful lot of people, and and society really needs to prepare itself. For this coming tsunami
1: right no you're're you're, you're exactly right in, in what you said I mean, if you look at the industrial revolution, it was highly disruptive to many industries you know cottage industries, farming uh, you know so many of the you know the the people who just made their living working at at home were found themselves now having to go work in factories and initially that cut maybe their, their income, but over time, income actually increased and their ability to earn and provide for their, for their families uh, increased. You know, we always hear about the, the negative costs of moving from an agrarian to an industrial society. But obviously we can't, you know, if everybody is in an agrarian workforce, then we don't have the the benefits of economies of scale and and specialization and all of those things that, that, that brings. So there's many, many benefits of, uh, you know, of, of that, that came from disruption, like the industrial revolution. There's been many disruptions since then, but you're right, more opportunities, diverse opportunities. So how fast can we learn and adapt? And what's interesting is that some jobs will be not replaced, but augmented by AI. Some may be replaced or, you know, certain jobs like the reviewing of contracts, for example, will now be done by AI. And and so that's what we want to look at today.
0: Well, as you mentioned that, it reminded me of a statistic in the report that said uh, roughly two thirds of all jobs could be impacted to some degree by AI, right? Whether it's placing jobs or augmenting, uh, jobs, you know, making certain tasks easier. Right. Uh, but you know, so there are a third of jobs. A lot of those may be, uh, jobs that require, uh, manual labor. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense by any means. And I no. think actually we should, you know, as a, as a, as a society, uh, pre- place renewed emphasis on the trades, uh, because you still need plumbers to come out and fix a, a leak in your in your faucet, or or you know, replace a dishwasher. Or you need electricians to come out and fix your wiring, or you know, there's there's and and these are highly valued uh, and valuable uh, skills that are probably not going to be replaced. But in some cases, they could be augmented by AI because it could help relieve the burden of uh, these small business owners. From doing some of the administrative work that they dread doing, right? it's like, oh shoot, you know, I gotta, I gotta get all my accounting done, and and uh, you know, I, I've got to do all my marketing and, and things of that nature, and and so AI could be helpful to them in some of those, right? I mean, they, they can aspects.
1: save a lot of money on on marketing and ads that that they you know that they would otherwise have to do themselves. Let's see, we have we have a comment uh, a comment on LinkedIn, Albert. Uh, let's see. We've got Dr. Shanahan Swafford said regarding attorney-client privilege. The same is true of healthcare documentation and possible malpractice and facility lawsuits for wrong or incomplete documentation. So that's something that we have to to, to take in into account when we think about it. Thank you, Dr. Shanahan. That's a great comment. And then uh, Hubert Marchuka. I hope I got that right. as a PMO project management uh, and HR expert says artificial intelligence is transforming wor- our world in every day uh, and maybe every way as well. So love that we've got people chiming in on, on on LinkedIn. So as I said, you know the cost of labor is is high, which will cause you know capital to be invested in in more technology and, and artificial intelligence and anything that can be automated. Will even in the medical field and in the legal field, which which is interesting, we're going to talk about which which uh, really industries are going to be impacted the most. U.S. and Europe will probably be impacted more. Why? Because more of the labor-intensive type of work, let's let's call it uh, maybe some of the the, the lower income work, uh, is is really hard to automate. It is hard for AI to pick up a pencil and turn a knob or to, you know, pick up bricks. It can do certain things. I mean, that it's really hard, but can it, can software calculate, you know, mathematics or can it scan articles? That's, that's very easy for it to do. So research is something that, that AI can do very, very easily. And, but I wonder if, if over time, what the impact of that, that's going to have on wages. Up until now, there's always been an increase in, in wages, but it is possible if you say that two-thirds of jobs will be impacted by that, that that could create a, a downward pressure on wages in what, what are called uh, DM economies or, or higher income economies, and actually an inflationary pressure on the, um, the lower income or what, what is called the uh, uh, EM economies. What do you think? It's possible,
0: right? It's it's possible because uh, every business is looking to increase productivity. Right. Oh. It, that's that's because generally you can. There's a correlation between higher productivity and higher profits. You know. Uh, so so if there are things that can be done to increase productivity, then. The investments will be made to do that, and from what we're seeing, the 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 productivity gains will be they will come as a result of reducing the cost of labor, uh, increasing the cost of technology uh, that can do things faster and and in some cases better than human beings can. So, I mean, any business owner or any any executive would look at that and say, "Well, we should do this, right? We can, we can, we can, we can increase our our earnings by by automating, just as we we saw that uh, with you know the 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 automation in manufacturing. Uh, you, you you look at automotive plants, and there's a lot of work done by robots, right? Yes." <laughs> That's right. uh, that displaced a lot, of, uh, a lot of skilled workers, and now we're seeing that same potential impact in the offices, in the cubicles uh, where people go to work every day. Uh, maybe not so many of those cubicles are going to be needed because not so many workers are going to be needed to read all those contracts or uh, do all of that office administrative work because so much of that could be automated by AI.
1: So we, we don't want you to feel like it's all bad news because you know the challenge is, and you pointed out, we would have to get more and more efficient every day. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on individuals to be more like machines. the The problem is, is we can't compete with machines where they excel. So we have the opportunity to compete with machines where they struggle. Now, AI is getting... Better at some of the the things that that humans are are good at, but mostly it's it's us telling them how to how to behave. but it's it's usually what makes humans human that really is going to help differentiate us. So, for example, you may have a legal plan that is created by a, a, an AI technology or a, a medical diagnosis, but it's probably not going to be delivered to the client by the robot. And I say, quote unquote, a robot. It, you know we're we don't accept that um that diagnosis or that plan from a machine we want to hear it from a human that can talk to us and answer our questions and empathize and and relate and so that's something that really will will continue to use humans i mean even in in the uh you know criminal justice system, you have human judges have to decide which Criminals that are in prison are who are up for parole. Who who's gonna who they're gonna let out early, or who is gonna potentially go back to that life of crime? And and humans get it about fifty percent right. When AI can get it about seventy five percent right. Interesting. I, I you know as you think about the ability of technology to determine some the patterns of of criminals who's gonna go back to crime and who's gonna who's gonna change, but really do you think that society is going to accept the those judgments from a machine or do we need a a human to to deliver that and and still be there to to apply those judgments so or to as as Dr. Shan, you know, Shannon said make the final judgment as to, you know, what is potentially malpractice or incomplete documentation. So you're still going to have to know the profession the problem is that puts maybe more pressure on you because as you use the skills less and it's being replaced by by automation does that have the potential to atrophy certain skills my experience is that it does i mean if you look at our smartphones for example how has that changed communication over the since you know 2007 when they first started coming out our ability to communicate, the things that make us most human have actually begun to atrophy as we've relied more and more on technology. Mm-hmm. I, I was in the airport, Salt Lake Airport one time, and I saw a, a guy wearing a t-shirt and, and I can't remember exactly what it said. It said, I, I keep making uh, machines or I keep making things better to make life easier. But as a result, I keep making people stupider which means I have to make things better and smarter. <laughs> I mean, that's really what's happening, right? Our, our human skills are atrophying. So it's, we become more- well, Two more...
0: very simple examples, uh, just riffing off of your mobile phone uh, analogy here. Uh, number one is I used to know everybody's phone number that I needed to know, right. right? So I just had them all memorized. I knew their phone numbers. I could dial up their phone numbers and, and I could call them and then we'd have a conversation. And then when these devices came around, well, I didn't need to memorize all the phone numbers. And so, you know, outside of a very small, like, okay, my wife's phone number and my mom's phone number and my kids, if you ask me, well, what's so-and-so's phone number? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. Another one is maps uh, or or just finding our way. Right, just our
1: ability.
0: You know, I, I, uh, I enjoy being able to find my way without having to rely on Google maps to give me directions somewhere. I look up, a, I'll look it up on the phone, but I'm like, okay, I need to go down here to this exit. And then I, I go here and I, uh, to the a second like I'll turn right and then I'll go three blocks and I'll turn left and I'll get there. And, uh, and my kids are amazed. Like, how did you find that place? Well, I look <laughs> at the map and then it, you know, I just uh, follow the directions, but, but not having Google just announce, you know, You know, take X at 394. We don't have to think. Yeah. They're like, you know, they just, anything that they do, they put it in Google Maps to get there because they don't know how to get
1: anywhere on their own. It's so interesting you brought that up because it reminded me of a study that was done on London taxi cab drivers. And what they found is that after several years of driving in London, their hippocampus actually grew. In size and, and the ability to to find their way just naturally no no GPS it grew so we with and and as they stop driving later it the, those same skills begin to atrophy and the hippocampus would shrink isn't that interesting is that uh, as we become more reliant on AI our abilities uh, may atrophy and diminish to our detriment I have a couple other comments that I want to share with you let's do it Mashoud Ahmed who's also a project and program uh, process management expert, has two comments. Society will accept intuitive AI decisions. The new generation expects it. Okay. Uh, and in the case of the, a plumber example, AI will identify the faucet before it breaks or leaks. This is currently being worked on in oil and gas and is a matter of time before it becomes available to households. Now, wouldn't that be great? So, the question then in my mind is, you know, is it going to be Skynet or Bucky? Now, what do I mean by that? Is AI going to take our, our jobs or is it going to augment like, you know, the Bucky of, of the, um, uh, what is that? The
0: Yeah, Captain America. Captain America's friend, right. He's got a Marvel. He's got got an an arm.
1: Yeah, um, Marvel. Yes. That's right. He's got a bionic arm that makes him makes him stronger. So it enhances his physical capabilities. And there's lots of other fictional superheroes that have augmented capabilities by by technology. Well, let's let's talk about some of those industries that are going to be impacted. You know, Mahmoud even talked about plumbing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and that's that's a great
0: example of augmentation, right? Exactly, where, where you're using, you know, the internet of things and, and connectivity and AI to actually diagnose where a, a leak has occurred, uh, which saves the plumber a lot of time. The plumber still has to go in and repair the leak, but they may not have to spend so much time hunting around to try to find out exactly where this leak is occurring, right? Because uh, there is technology that's built into the devices in this case, into the into the into the faucets uh, that can help, you know, identify. Oh, there is a leak, and this needs to be replaced. And so that would be a great example of
1: augmentation, right? Yeah, I and mean, we have the same thing on our cars, right? The engine light comes on. We've got a imbalance somewhere, a problem. We need to take it in. But I, I like the fact that this can maybe. Uh, preempt oil spills and those sorts of things so that we can uh, have a positive impact on on the environment. So so the industries, let's talk about those. We have several industries. The one that may be uh, surprising, that is the basically the share of the industry exposed to automation by AI. And this is US. This is only US. So I know we have people listening from all over the world. Number one is office administrative and support. of those jobs are exposed to being automated by AI. So, you know, for, for a business like mine, I mean, that means, you know, I can, I can automate so much of, of what I do. And that means I may not have to bring on more assistance. I was, uh, consulting a company that was a security, uh, you know, a monitoring company. So like alarms for fire, emergency burglary, all those things. And they had a goal several years ago to introduce AI for their phone answering system. And what's interesting is the problem they were having was the call time. They had to, they had to answer the phone within 10 seconds. I mean, you're talking fire and, uh, other emergencies, life and death is on the line and they were averaging, um, more than 30 seconds. And in some cases, outliers were a minute plus on, on hold. And so they introduced a phone system that basically replaced their human operators. These are people who just answer the phone and determine where the calls need to go and, you know, fire or police need to be called, whatever the situation. And over two years, this technology was able to get the phone time answering for the for the urgent calls, it, under ten seconds down to three seconds, and eliminate half of those administrative or operator jobs, and that's an example of you know how this is augmenting and and because what it does is it determines what the call you know the urgency of the call it, it triages the call basically and then routes it to a human to make the the, the necessary actions from there and so it, that's an augmentation but it's also reducing the demand for for human labor.
0: Well, you know, what's really interesting to me, Spencer, is that with the onset of the Industrial Revolution and then following World War II, especially here in the U.S. with the GI Bill, uh, really what was pushed, I think, from a a policy standpoint was to, to protect yourself, uh, and, and and you know from the risk of losing a job because your career becomes obsolete, you need to get education, right? So there's been a tremendous push to higher education yeah. and getting degrees and getting these white collar jobs that require this education because those to a certain extent would be immune from the the automation that we were seeing uh, in manufacturing those aren't safe anymore right Right. now ai is coming for those jobs that we thought were safe legal yeah we we thought those jobs were safe and so i'm i'm very curious to see how governments react uh, and how uh industry reacts to this new reality you know because we can't just say oh well the 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 uh, the protection if you want to if you want to keep yourself immune from from these uh, potential impacts is to go get a degree or get an advanced degree. That's no longer the case uh, because these jobs are acing. I mean, these AIs are acing LSATs and uh, other advanced degree tests. Uh, clearly, they can do some <laughs> higher level work that people with degrees thought they were protected now we're all uh, to some degree at risk here so what are we going to do you know my my one thing and i've been pushing this for a long time is and i said it earlier in, in our conversation is is to to put more emphasis on the trades uh but the other thing that you've been talking about spencer way before this generative ai thing popped up recently but you've talked about ai and protecting yourself that's really these human skills these power skills because at the end of the day we are we are all still human beings and we need relationships we have to work with people we are social creatures and so our skills are perhaps more better focused on those social interactive elements of communication and trust you know building trust and and uh, managing teens and so on and so forth. So I'm just curious, I've just kind of rambled and riffed on this here, but you know, your thoughts about how AI is impacting workers who historically have felt immune to these changes because of their educational background and work experience now suddenly be exposed. And then also at the same time, uh, the fact that we are still human beings and we still
1: uh, need to
0: connect with each
1: other. So thank you. Yeah, there are so many skills that I think help us to advance our opportunities and our careers, even within those uh, highly cognitive professions that you've identified, you know, law, medicine, uh, even mathematics. I mean, that, that one can be automated quite easily. Yet Understanding, we still need to be able to have an understanding. We'd be able we need to be able to 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 translate and, and to work with uh, different departments who may not understand the math. So they need to be able to have someone that can explain those. So we need collaborative skills, we need storytelling skills, which you are somebody that is well versed on the impacts of story because of how it persuades people to to move, to act, to to change, to evolve. Uh, And the ability to tell stories, that is a a, a really a a powerful skill, but it needs to be developed and nurtured. And it's something that doesn't necessarily come naturally. Uh, The Project Management Institute, which is an organization that has, I believe, uh, 600 plus thousand project managers that are members of it worldwide, just released a, a report. And they are talking about, you know, typically project management is a... A technical type of, of field. Now, for years, they've been talking about there has to be certain power skills that that you need to be effective as a project manager. And they're usually some of these human skills. But typically, project managers have been engineers or people that are good at systems and processes and, and timelines and schedules and organization. Well, a lot of that's being automated. And so PMI uh, just issued their report that said, four skills that are that have the greatest impact for project managers for a for their for their career advancement number 1 is communication 68% in terms of just the impact that it has on on elevating their their career effective communication and that is something that you and I you know I talk about all the time and it really takes effort I and mean, we need to put as much effort into getting our technical licensure and and certifications as we do into learning how to connect with and motivate and engage with people. And doing that will give us a huge, uh, huge boost. Problem solving, 65%. Collaborative leadership, 62%. Because when it comes to project management, you it's interesting, you don't necessarily have authority. So you're working with leaders from disparate departments to get them to to work. And oftentimes you're at their mercy to get deliverables. And that can be very frustrating unless you have collaborative leadership skills that can influence and engage and and help people to follow through with their commitments, even though you don't have authority. Now that's a human skill that is hard to replace by AI. Strategic thinking, that you know, maybe that's certainly beneficial, but you know, communication is one of those things, but I, I want to talk about teams since this is the team performance podcast. Teams are going to be more valuable than than ever, and this is based on some research. And I want to I want to share this. You know, it, it seems interesting that in a an age when technology and information is so ubiquitous, it's just so easy to to access that creating knowledge would be a more of a individual sport, if you will. Right. Would just, Hey, I could just go out and do what I need to do and, and figure it out because I could get, uh, all the information. And that's, it's not really what you would expect with more electronic computing power in a laptop than existed in the entire world in 1954 and access. And this is from this book, humans are underrated. I'm quoting from, from Jeff Colvin. Um, why would a scientist, inventor, author, engineer, manager, or anyone else need more help from people? Information technology gives individuals what our forebears would have considered godlike power, which in theory should enable them to achieve world-changing breakthroughs in every field. Groups, by contrast, have a reputation for doing the scut work. No grand idea was ever born in a conference, wrote F. Scott Fitzgerald, or as the grand admin, David Ogilvy put it more memorably, search all the parks in your cities, you'll find no statues to committees. <laughs> so I, I want to read the rest of this because I think this is fascinating. Yet in reality, the most important advances in virtually every field have always involved collaboration and are increasingly being achieved by clearly defined groups, The evidence is in a massive study of 20 million research papers in 252 fields within science, engineering, the social sciences, the arts, and humanities over 50 years, plus 2 million patents of all kinds over 30 years. The results are starkly clear. In nearly 100% of the fields, more research is being done by teams, and teams are getting bigger. In addition, the most influential work that, which is cited most often in the in scholarly literature is also being increasingly done by growing teams. So, I mean, I can go on and on and on, but you can see that the, the need for collaboration is, is actually increasing rather than decreasing. And as I pointed out, are our skills in collaboration and communication increasing to the level that they need to, to give us those career advantages? With this, this
0: macro study, uh, this macro study is fascinating, Spencer. Yeah. Uh, I just have a quick question about it, uh, since I have not read the book, and it sounds like a fascinating mm-hmm. read. Uh, but did they cite any reasons for the increased collaboration over the last fifty years? <sighs>
1: It's it, 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 no, it, I, few, I have a see, hunch. I have see. a hunch, but let's I don't know I what can, it is. Let's see what, if I can find it. A few factors have combined to produce this historic shift, and all of them are significant in business and organizations generally, not just in scientific and academic research. As knowledge increases, people must specialize in narrower slices of it to achieve mastery. It's kind of what we were talking about with the Industrial Revolution. We've had to, people have to specialize. So we've got people know more and more about less and less today, right? Um, We actually talked about that on this show, about the need to be a T-shaped employee, right? Wide and deep in knowledge. But because of specialization, the corporate position of chief financial officer didn't become commonplace until the 1970s. The chief marketing uh, officer, not until the 1980s. The chief information officer, not until the late 1980s. And search engine optimizers, digital marketers, weren't weren't even imagined until the 1990s. For almost any given problem, more people's contributions are required to find the best response. That's because of specialization. What what was it that you were thinking? It was exactly that. And because
0: of specialization, most of the problems that need to be solved are interdisciplinary, meaning that it's not just one discipline that solves it. But you've got to combine several different areas of expertise in order to get to that solution so that's why teams are so important because you have different people coming in from different parts of the organization especially cross-functional teams yes uh, are becoming super important now and the ability to manage uh cross-functional teams i think is going to be an even more valued skill uh you know coming in in the future just as cfos and cios and you know then they started calling them chief people officers on the hr side and you know then you had for a time being it was fashionable to have chief knowledge officers and things like that i i bet there's going to be uh, a wave whether it permanently you know stays or or it's just a fab but there'll be a wave of of c-suite positions that are focused on ai and the and using AI to optimize, you know, whether that falls under the CIO or whether that falls under some other area of the organization, I think it's going to be, have that much impact that people are going to start the you know think of and then that's another person that you're going to add to your executive team, right? It's like, oh, okay, so on my executive team, I got the CEO, I got the CIO, I got the CFO, I got the chief people officer, and uh, got the, the marketing officer, and and you know <laughs> those those guys, and yeah, so I might we might start to see C-suite positions that are uh, really optimizing uh, the use of AI in the organizations because it's going to be a cross-functional thing. It's not like, well, AI just disrupts the accounting department or AI just disrupts the operations uh, team or the legal team. AI is going to disrupt all of them.
1: So, So the ability to work really well with those disparate teams and different personalities, that's where the ability to adapt our leadership and communication style is so, so important. You know, we hear so much about diversity, equity, uh, inclusion. I think those things are important. I, I, I think we we have not focused enough on unity. I think we have not focused enough on team and how to bring those those disparate skills and communication styles together to work in a unified fashion. And in order to do that, we need to be able to be adaptable as as humans. That's with dealing with complex problems and and cross-functional teams, as you talked about. But within teams, it's it's nice to have people that you can just very quickly connect with and and communicate with, so that because adapting takes a lot of energy, cross working with cross-functional teams takes a lot of energy. That that diversity and and bringing them together in, in a unified way takes energy. So it, it's nice to be able to conserve energy in some places. And and I'll give you an example of that. You know, we like to talk about sports. So I'm just going to share one one more example. And are you familiar with the Ryder Cup? Yeah. Well, explain to our listeners what that is exactly. Well, it's a it's a golf
0: tournament. It's the USA versus Europe. And uh, so each, uh, I think it's every two years the Riders' Cup is played.
1: That's correct. And
0: and uh, you know, team captains are selected. They choose their teams based on a number of criteria, and then uh, they they compete against each other.
1: And they get the twelve best golfers from Europe and and the U.S. to to compete against each other. And typically, um, the the historically the U.S. has some of the best individual golfers, but Europe sen- seems to always win. And, and back in 2008, Paul Azinger was the was the captain of the U.S. team. And for the previous six, uh, six Ryder Cups, Europe had beaten the U.S. And in 2008, I think that's the year that um, Tiger Woods had just won uh, the U.S. Open but he tore his ACL. And so he wasn't available to be on the Ryder cup, us Ryder cup team. And so, you know, with, with the history of Europe beating the U S you know, for the previous 12 years uh, they were taunting the, uh, they were singing, you know, what can you do with the the drunken sailor song? What can you do without tiger woods? They were singing that and taunting the U S and so, Paul Asinger is like, how, how are we going to, what are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to beat the, you know, golf isn't really a team sport, right? You usually are individuals that kind of do your best and add up your score at the end of of the day. That's typically how most teams function, even in business. They're usually work groups that are very closely aligned to a golf team, but in the Ryder Cup, it's different because you need to support each other. And even a small comment, uh, wrongly placed, can have a negative impla- impact. Or rightly placed, and encouragement can have a huge positive impact. And so Captain Azinger decided he was going to do something different. He was going to pair his teams with very like-minded thinkers and and people that had similar philosophies. So we're talking about unity, right? We're not talking about diversity as I was a minute ago. So on the same team, he paired people together that were able to, be, to, to get into rapport and to support each other, think the same way, support each other, encourage each other very, very quickly, because he didn't have a lot of time to get this team together. And it worked. They were working together, they were encouraged. And he promised that he wouldn't break those teams up because sometimes you need a team that you can trust, that you can rely on. And and, and sometimes you need to do that quickly. And that requires some like-minded uh, unity in order to do that. So just the ability to, to collaborate, to communicate, to to work together in teams can have a huge impact on results in sports, in business, in everything that we do. And so now those golfers aren't playing against AI yet, but I, I bring up these skills because learning effective collaboration, communication, adaptability, storytelling, these are the things that are really going to give you a huge advantage to keep you in your career growing and developing um, you know, we we didn't talk about all the the parts of the the world where um, this is going to impact, but just just so you know, I mean, right now the EM economies, which India, Kenya, Vietnam, Nigeria, mainland China, Thailand, Ghana, Indonesia, Egypt, you know, your looks like it's going to have a minimal impact below eighteen percent. I mean, globally, it's about eighteen percent. So those those economies are going to be below, but above that. The highest is Hong Kong in terms of almost 30% of full-time equivalent employment that's going to be exposed to automation by AI. Israel is next with about 27%. Japan after that, about 26%. And then Sweden, US, and the UK, and Singapore are um, really the, those economies that are going to be impacted the most by by AI. And so we get to be aware of what are the industries, what are the economies, and what are you doing to prepare to be enhanced, possibly be replaced? What are the skills that you're doing to make sure that you're not the one that gets replaced?
0: I think it's important to just recognize that even even in those countries where the impact may not be as great, you're still looking at potentially one in five. You know, uh, right. jobs being impacted—that's uh, not an insignificant number. You know, uh, yeah, one in three is more than one in five, but one in five is still a big number. And so, I think uh, no matter where you are in the world, there there is going to be some level of disruption due to AI. Well, Spencer, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Before we wrap it up, any final thoughts?
1: Man, I just I wish we had some of our listeners that. Would jump on and say, "Hey, here's here's what, what what this means for the future. Here's the here are the industries that are going to develop. I mean, you talked about potentially you know new C A I or O C A I O, but there's certainly going to be new industries born out of you know this this disruption, and we just need to be willing to uh, and able to adapt." Um, and that's, I think really the, 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 it, there's going to be disruption, but if you are fighting it and holding on to the way things have always been done, that's going to be problematic. I know in my business, I am actively using AI technology to improve my efficiencies and it's very, very helpful. So I don't know about you. Well, you know,
0: uh, uh... A rough analogy here. I just, you know, for for a time, you know, almost twenty years ago, I I was a minority partner in a business that manufactured cabinets, kitchen cabinets, right? And so, you had all these different tools in the in the workspace. You had planers and joiners and routers and sanders and table saws and compound miter saws, and so there are a variety of tools that are required to build cabinets. Well. Uh, you know, then you know they come out with these CNC router machines where basically you just design the entire cabinet in AutoCAD, and you feed the CAD drawing into the machine, and the machine makes all of the cuts. right 3D so, it replaces, <laughs> so it replaces the the router and the and the and the planer. Well, not necessarily the planer. It's usually like MDF materials and things you're f- feeding into these machines, but it replaces a lot of the machinery that you would typically find in a shop to a certain extent and so what does that do it, it says well i don't need as many people doing these other uh you know routing and and uh and you know drilling holes and you know making cuts with table saws and things like that but i do need a cat operator uh, you know <laughs> so so the skills uh you know started to evolve from uh, people that could do these use these other tools to people who knew how to design uh, in AutoCAD, you know, in in order to to build the cabinets, and so uh, we're going to see that in AI. The people that learn how to use these new tools, you know, the these these tools that replace a lot of the other tools that we might be using or augment the existing tools that we're using, Love are going to be an advantage. And I, and and so my my encouragement to people is to familiarize themselves with the technologies that are out there. Because I think there are going to be a lot of jobs who where you're going to have an advantage if you know how to use some of these uh, tools that are coming out. So, so start, start experimenting with those and and learning about how to use those tools uh, in in your own work.
1: I think that's great advice. And uh, where can people find more great advice from you? Christian, if they want to. (laughs) Oh
0: wow! Well, they can. You know, anybody can connect to me on LinkedIn. I encourage anyone just look for Christian Napier on LinkedIn. Connect with me. Happy to have a conversation. And Spencer, you've been helping teams for decades, and I I expect that you're going to be helping teams for years into the future. You've helped so many people. How can people find you and connect with you to see how they you might be able to help their organization?
1: Well, thank you, Christian. We are Altium Leadership. And coaching, and it is A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. or just find me on link. LinkedIn is is a great place to find me, Spencer Horn, and you see that uh, Altium Leadership is is listed there. So, thank you, Christian, for a great hour discussion today. It was uh, it was great to be with you.
0: Great to be with you as well, Spencer, and uh, have fun digging out in the snow.